Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. have statistics to back up that we have people that listen. Mike Schaefer. Anytime there's sort of a debate as to who can do something, Happer would always put his name forth. For sure. Husker 24-7 on the Connor Happer Show on 1620 The Zone. I could be a star. All right, and we're joined now on the 42 Degrees of the Source Hotline by Husker 247's Mike Schaefer. Schaefer, hello. How are you? I am doing well, Connor. How did you enjoy the uh, conference championship Sunday? I, I I think I feel like I enjoyed it less than you. Was taking a victory lap on Dan Campbell things yesterday. Uh, yeah, you know, I certainly uh, really enjoyed that, and I've I've enjoyed the the attempted gaslighting from various NFL writers about how it was actually the smart thing to do, as if we could all see that a three. Three-score lead is better than a two-score lead. Uh, I enjoy the people that are like, you can't assume that he makes the field goal, but then they also assume that, you know, a Detroit defense that had only held San Francisco to 10 points was definitely destined to give up 21 straight at that point. Uh, You know, it's just one of those things I find uh, rather humorous. And then in the backdrop of all of this, this Lions team that I never thought was particularly that good was on the cusp of going to the Super Bowl which really would have put egg on my face. But I emerged victorious. I alone am the sole winner of yesterday. (laughs) And I couldn't be more thrilled about it. I truly could not be more thrilled. I I actually could be more thrilled. It could be the Ravens, I suppose, on the AFC side. But they didn't deserve to go there. You built your entire season and your entire way of playing in one style, and then you ran the ball 11 times against the Yep. Struggled heavily against the Bills. Bad job by you, John Harbaugh. Bad job by you, Monken. Bad job by you, Baltimore. Kansas City deserves to go, and you did not. Uh, you were, you're, of course, surrounded by uh, by Chiefs fans, as we all are in our lives. It, it, it's amazing that it happens where, like, I, I know a lot of people who aren't Chiefs fans, but everybody around me seems to be surrounded by Chiefs fans. And then we have the overexposure to the Chiefs and all that. Like, we just got to call... Uh, that was like, why do you think this sort of tide is turned on them as far as how people feel about them? And I'm like, well, I think overexposure has a lot to do with it, and nobody can beat them. And that's, I guess, where we are right now. Yeah, I mean, this is, and I, I think Kansas City fans would agree, this is their worst team yes. of the six that have gone to the AFC Championship. Um, it is their worst team that will be playing for a Super Bowl, and yet no part of me thinks they're going to lose. Uh, two weeks from now. No, that could change. Obviously, I could talk myself into the 49ers. And I'm picking the Chiefs. But at this point, um, it just feels like if if Patrick Mahomes can do this with the crappiest cast of characters he's ever had on offense, and now Travis Kelsey has, has suddenly found form again in the playoffs where he did not have in the regular season, and uh, Valdez Scantling has found his hands, which he did not have in the regular season, no. that obviously helps them. But like they're going to have cap space. 
They're going to be able to go out and hit, you know, more talent. It's going to turn into sort of the Warriors, uh, if you want to use the, the cross sports reference here, where like veterans who just want to play for championships are probably going to take less money to play for the Chiefs. Like mm-hmm. it is going to. Josh Peterson made this comparison, so I don't want to take it. Uh, it's going to be very 2020 Tampa Bay Bucks-ish going forward with this Kansas City team. Like, if if Lamar and Josh Allen, and I guess, you know, if we want to throw them in there, Tua, if they couldn't stop it now, it, it's not, you know, it, it feels like we're not heading to just, like, another potential Chiefs Super Bowl here, or at least a Chiefs Super Bowl appearance. It feels like there's going to be three to four more years of basically, like, who will save us? And what I mean by that is my fatigue with this is so high. Yep. It's like I'm watching a team that is above average on the strength of just their quarterback and their belief that they can do it, go through what I view to be an absolute gauntlet of an AFC and sort of do it without Evan really breaking a sweat. I mean, I think Buffalo gave them the best challenge. Baltimore, again, their game plan was terrible. Um, and the Dolphins, you know, never really showed up. But it, it's just a... Uh, it's wild. I was just yeah. amazed how they control. Like they just, you know, and and we hadn't looked at this team as a as you know it's a middle of the pack offensive team all year long. Obviously, you know they have the guy, and then Kelsey has really stepped up in the playoffs. But how they how they made those how they made the Bills and the Ravens like completely change who they who they are and what they do as a result of trying to. You know, make in the Ravens' case, they were shooting for the big play the entire game. In the Bills' case, they were just trying to keep the ball away from Mahomes. And in a lot of cases, they successfully did those things, and the Chiefs still won. It's it's so deflating. Yeah, well, I mean, what they do is they just put endless amounts of pressure on you. And it, it sort of started yesterday with Baltimore starts with the ball, and they go three and out. And you're like, oh, that's a bad sign. And then the Chiefs just march right down the field, and they score a touchdown against this defense that's been fantastic. And the Ravens' defense eventually showed up. Like, the real Ravens' yep. defense was there that whole second half, and the Chiefs did not look like a team that should be playing in the Super Bowl. But because the Ravens' offense inexplicably just felt like they were in a shootout when they were never in a shootout, yep. but they, they just make you think you're in a different version of a game, regardless of, of who you are. And I, I have so much re- – I. I've always liked Andy Reid, this version of, of what he's doing. And I, I know that he takes a lot of flack for in-game decisions. I don't know any coach that doesn't at this point. Like, there's, there's not a single coach that you can tell me is just a mastermind of in-game decisions because a lot of them are coin flips. It's like deciding whether you're going to hit or stay on 16. It becomes a personal preference. But those of us that disagree with the other side's strategy are just going to rail against it. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, Andy Reid is, is a great example of this because I don't know that there's a lot that he could do better. And then he sort of has that piece of it that's the, the intangible aspect that you can't see but I suspect exists in the building. The culture and the belief in Kansas City, and, yes, it helps that they probably have the best quarterback any of us have ever seen, is so high, and I think it's because of him. Like, I just think he instills confidence in people to go and, and do their job and that they will be okay. And obviously the mountain of success allows oh, yeah. them to just play with more confidence. Well, this but proves not, it. This proves it because yeah. they were so, you know, they were so meh in the regular season. And now they've flipped right. the switch. Like, it, it, just, well, it just cements that. They don't even have to try now. Like, it felt like they were on, I wouldn't even say cruise control. Like, 
I don't know what you would say. If, if we were doing the, the show where we drove around in, in different used vehicles, I don't know what used vehicle <laughs> Kansas City was in the regular season, but they somehow traded it in and got more money than they paid for it. And now they're like driving something significantly better in the playoffs. It's wild. Yeah, it's like during that time where uh, all the all the rental rental car places needed more cars, and they were like buying them off you for for like way more than they were worth or whatever. Yeah, it's this is this is basically like that. Travis Kelsey all of a sudden you know de-aged himself four years during the playoffs, which is uh, which is super impressive. I guess it's he just a- needed to get real mad at Justin Tucker. That was the key to Travis Kelsey yesterday. Okay, all right. Uh, you, do you have a comment on that? I, mine is why why is Justin Tucker doing this? What is he doing? So I don't I, I know this like and you know this because you you've gone to football games. Um, there's a time period before warmups, like before the the team portion of padded warmups even start, where kickers are on both sides just trying to gauge the wind and everything. Yeah. So I don't know like what time all of this went down, and if it was before the like period portion where you're only supposed to be on your side of the field. Because then, in theory, if it's just that warm-up portion, like, Justin Tucker absolutely can be over there. Like, that's normal. Um, I don't know when it happened. The, the whole thing was just weird. And it, like, it's also one of those where you're like, I, I don't understand it from any of the sides. I don't know no, the context yeah. of it. But everyone just immediately, whether they were mad at the Chiefs or mad at Justin Tucker, like, and I'm just sitting here like, well, do we know when, like, when this occurred during the pregame and, like, what the context of all, and then of course we don't. And I'm over here asking for details, and we live in social media reaction society. But uh-huh. um, well, you yeah, just go to you just default to whatever narrative you you choose right. in that scenario. And so I I really want to know, like if that if that was happening in the period where Justin Tucker is just gauging the wind on both sides, then like I don't understand what the Chiefs are mad about. If that's happening when it's their side of the field, I 100 percent understand why they're like get the f out of here, you know. Um. I think he was poking. I think he was poking the bear a little bit, but that's bad move. Yeah. Bad move by yeah. kicker. Bad, you bad call. You know, like you're especially a veteran like that. Like that's a weird deal. Um. All right. So we've been we've been waiting for this, Schaefer. You you wrote the story on just sort of the full timeline with with Dylan Raiola and some of the key moments and um you know things that sort of led to him ending up at Nebraska as you sort of. As you sort of went through the timeline, um, and you can find the story at, at uh, Husker two four seven right now. Um, as as you went through the timeline, like what what ended up being the the moment where you felt like, man, th- this you either he was coming off of Georgia, or you felt like it was it was going to head Nebraska's direction. Well, the, I mean, the moment for me was that Monday, uh, December 9th, I think is the exact date, like that. The phone call I had with Steve Wilfong, and it basically it wasn't like, hey, this could happen, or I'm hearing this might happen. It's like, get your stuff ready. Nebraska's going to get a five-star quarterback. So for <laughs> me, it was different than it's going to be for everybody else. But after the fact, sort of looking at it, there's a lot, you know, I, I wrote this, and there's a lot that I couldn't write, too. There's a lot that I just don't have 100% lockdown verified that I don't feel comfortable putting in print. But I, I did write this on the message board in response to somebody asking a question, and I, I really believe it to be true. I don't know of any other recruit that has been involved in things behind the scenes and the way the, the Riolas were, um, both before and after his commitment. Uh, like, And we're talking cross sports. We're talking like passing along names of recruits and out there, you know, that, you know, Sue LaFotu, I don't think plays at Nebraska. 
if if Dom Raiola doesn't pass that name along. Like there's there's just a lot of stuff that was going on that always made me feel like, man, are they just like, uh, is this just like we just really like Nebraska and we want to help out, but we're going to Georgia or like it, you know? So when I made that crystal ball in February of, of 2023, it was built on the idea that they were really involved in a recruiting operation yeah. when they weren't even committed. And they were involved with a university that was just one of several choices. And then you have sort of the NIL whispers, and I couldn't really go deep into that. And I never, you know, I don't know that I ever will be able to. I don't know that anyone really will. It doesn't behoove any operation to. And so as long as collectives are in charge of it and it's not public information, it's going to be really hard to get any access to it. But you'd hear things, and it just everything in February of, of 23, it's like, okay, why are they doing all of this if they're not seriously going to consider or go to Nebraska? And then he he ends up at Georgia, and it all just kind of stops. And then, of course, you get to the month of December or last month, and basically as soon as it becomes apparent that Nebraska is back in the picture, it's not just like, oh, hey, we're going we're gonna to announce a commitment. It's like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fire up the rank and yeah. file of the other commits and, and everything else. So it's just uh, – it's a weird deal. It's unlike any recruitment I'll ever cover again. There's more twists and turns in it than there is in any other recruitment. I mean, I feel like I wrote as full of a picture as I could verify. And even then, I feel like it's maybe 60%. There's still 40% out there that will will never really truly know to 100, uh, 100% accuracy and will be left wondering. But uh, one of the things I did want to do was quell some of the idiotic rumors as it related to Scott Frost. Like, there's a lot that you can – Ding Scott Frost for, but he couldn't ever show up at Dylan Raiola's house. So right. If if I could just say that again, he couldn't ever show up at Dylan Raiola's house. If that helps with any of those rumors, that's you know that's what I'm here for. <laughs> I am uh, I am super interested in the idea of them, uh, just the Raiola family, and like you said, sort of bringing people together and all of a sudden firing up the the recruiting engine, like as a at a certain point, that's just kind of isn't that just what you get maybe with a five star quarterback? Like I, I guess we're we're to new to this. Level, no, like, yeah. I don't think Aaron Nolan is doing this, or Julian Sane was doing this for Alabama. Like I think this was a different level. But yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely people that want to get involved in peer recruiting, and you don't have to be a five star to do that. But to have the cachet and the pull and uh, and everything else, and to you know sort of. I don't want to say dictate, but the, the sort of, you know, be able to pull the strings for how things are going to go. You yeah. have to be at a certain level. And quite frankly, this, this is probably going to hurt, but I think people understand it. Up until when Nebraska had an open quarterback position, Nebraska needed Dylan Raiola more than Dylan Raiola needed Nebraska. No doubt. And so, you know, it wasn't, there was never a meeting of equals there. Until it became apparent that Nebraska had something that no one else that he was in or that he truly wanted to go to could offer, and that's the opportunity to start a quarterback in 2024. And again, that's the reason more than any other thing that he is going to be playing for the Nebraska Cornhuskers this season. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's what it ultimately got down to at the end. You know, I'd sort of thought about what you just said there, and like how much one party needs the other party, and I just kept coming back to during the process of like. Yeah, well, in this in this specific situation, I'm okay with a kid like that calling the shots. I know people feel uncomfortable with that notion because it's always, 
you know, football team greater than greater than one guy. But I mean, don't you just think in, in this specific situation that it changes Nebraska so, you know, fundamentally just him being here that you, you sort of got to roll with the punches on that? Yeah, I mean, it's a total win. Like, I I don't want to make it seem like this is bad. Like, that's some of the hard thing about yeah. this is when you talk about it and you try to take, like, the whole big picture view, people want to be like, oh, well, he shouldn't be doing that or they shouldn't be doing this. It, it, no, it's none of that. They, like, this is, this is recruiting. Like, this is how it works sometimes. And Nebraska very much needed a quarterback and they needed someone that they could build their offense around and they needed someone to pull them out of the depths of where they were in as a program. And that is what they look for in terms of, of Dylan Riola, and he needed Nebraska because he didn't want a redshirt. He wants the opportunity to play right away. He believes that he has the ability to do that, and he doesn't want to sit behind anyone else. And he's going to have that opportunity to prove it this spring and then again this fall. And so because it sort of works together, it makes a lot of sense for both sides. And it's, it, it's honestly a more genuine, honest recruitment when you can boil it down to that than the idea of some kid just choosing to go to Ohio State because they produce really good quarterbacks but he's now going to be fifth in line there. Right. You know, like it's, if, if part of the problem with the transfer portal is these kids just restart their recruitments every year because they're not happy that they have to sit the bench, then you can't look at the, the Riolas and be like, well, they shouldn't have done that or they shouldn't have do this or, you know, it, it shouldn't, he shouldn't have any sort of say in these things. No, I mean, that's not true. Like he's, he basically just made it very apparent. I want to play football and I'm going to go somewhere where I can play football. And so I, I have respect for that. And I think ultimately, you know, if you're Matt Rule, how are you not going to bet on that? Like, that's the other thing. But uh, how many times are we going to have to hear about Scott Frost and Joe Burrow for the rest of our lives? <laughs> like, if you're Matt Rule, you're betting on Dylan Riola 10 out of 10 times. There's no other question about it. And no one needs to really think too much beyond that. And now, how it's going to go, that's an entirely different conversation. And how it all works and, and what level of comfort and control he can uh dylan riola can assert within the program as he becomes a starting quarterback those are all fair conversations to have but right now this was very much a you scratch my back i scratch yours sort of recruitment in the in the guise of also being the legacy of of a player whose name is up on your stadium wall like it's just uh we're never going to see anything like this again and uh it's remarkable that we even got to experience it this time i'm very ready for us to transition the Dylan Riola talk to actual football. Like if, yeah, if, I, if that's the, if that's the positive part of like, Hey, I might actually be excited for spring ball just to change the conversation around him, then it's worth it. Yeah. And I like, I very much am just looking forward to, you know, instead of talking in, uh, you know, possibilities of what the offense might look like. I'm looking forward to being able to put eyes on it and be like, okay, so this is what Isaiah Nair is actually as a wide receiver coming off of that injury. And this is what the offense that they can do with Marcus Satterfield that they couldn't really run. Like, I mean, I, like we got such an incomplete look at Nebraska as a program last year that you had to sort of talk yourself into all of the things that aren't necessarily transferable. Mm-hmm. Um and now we get to look at things that it seems like they're more able to build, at least on the offensive side of the ball. The defense, I think, will continue to kind of be what it was. But offensively, you know, we're going to be able to expand whatever we thought of, of what they were doing because it's going to just be so markedly different. All right, Schaefer, great stuff as always. Uh, once again, you could go check out the, the Rayola story at 24-7 Sports at Husker 247. Uh, Schaefer, enjoy your week, my friend. Talk to you later.
All right, have a good one. That's Mike Schaefer of Husker 24-7. Yeah, good deep dive on him and uh, also some other recruiting nuggets coming out of the weekend. I was going to ask about some local guys as well, but, you know, we got time. We got time for that. All right, uh, we'll be back. Peter will have the odd news when we return on 1620 The Zone. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.